Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Podcast episode 358. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And today I'm really excited about the conversation we're about to dive into with Rachel Bailey. She is a parenting expert, someone who's really studied human behavior, and who has tons of insights to share on today's podcast, all about how frankly, the many lessons that we can learn from parenting that apply to the rest of the world, to the working world, to our personal and professional lives, specifically around emotional regulation, emotional intelligence, managing our internal sort of regulation when we're dysregulated, when we're experiencing stress triggers or what she calls yuck, when we're having this sort of yuck response in our lives, and how to do so without falling victim of perfectionism, which is something that speaks to me deeply in case that's not obvious. So nine months into motherhood myself, I am so, so honored and delighted to sit down uh, with Rachel today and really kind of wade through lessons learned already, but also regardless of whether you are a parent or not, or whether you ever want to be a parent or not, today's conversation really contains some very practical, tactical tools and strategies for how to think about how we show up for each other uh, in work and in life. So let me tell you a little bit about Rachel before we dive in. She's a human behavior expert with over 14 years of experience developing, delivering programs and training initiatives, specifically focused on helping children, adolescents, and adults optimize their performance, both personally and professionally and academically. She's developed tons of personalized parenting education workshops and classes and programs. She's delivered hundreds of workshops, webinars, and classes in schools, doctor's offices, corporations, and community organizations. And she is the host of her very own podcast with a couple hundred episodes under her belt called Your Parenting Long Game with Rachel Bailey. Rachel, welcome to the Boss Up Podcast. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited to chat with you. I've been waiting to dive into this conversation since we first really crossed paths in Louisville. Uh, we were there together for a client of ours leadership conference, and you were a hit of a speaker. And I was so excited to to see you just capture this room full of highly trained, highly intelligent mom attorneys who were just writing down everything you said, <laughs> taking pictures of every one of your slides. And I was like, what is Rachel covering right now? I need to know more. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So how did you become a parenting expert? How did this become the area that you focus your career on? So it was nothing I had intended at all. I um, actually was in the corporate world for about 10 years, left to go back to get my um, PhD in clinical psychology. 
And my goal was to become a neuropsychologist, mm. but I actually got pregnant along the way. So I didn't even finish my PhD. So I'm almost there, but didn't finish it. Did not become a neuropsychologist, but what I, I love studying the brain. I love studying behavior. Um, when I left graduate school, I actually became a therapist and I was really focused on a lot of different areas, but mostly teenage girls. Mm. And so I was a therapist for teenage girls and I saw these really disturbing things happening. Yeah. And I said, and this was about 13 years ago at the time, I said, okay, I need to stop working with these girls and kind of move backwards mm. a little bit and start working with the parents. Because if I work with parents, yeah. then these things might not happen to begin with because I was really disturbed. So this was, again, 13, 14 years ago, not a lot of people were like parent coaches or anything like that. Yeah. So it was a little bit new at the time, but I just stopped my practice doing therapy and switched to working with parents. And that's how it all started. Wow. That's so interesting. I love whenever I hear about someone's career trajectory that boils mm -hmm. down to asking yourself, okay, what is the problem that I want to spend my lifetime solving for? Because that's such a purposeful way to make a career pivot. It's like, you know, I can't not investigate this is how I kind of interpret that, right? Absolutely. That's how I felt. I can relate deeply to that. So, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> I am nine months into motherhood myself uh, and my audience, uh, the Boss Up Podcast listeners here today know that I've I've talked a lot of leading up to uh, becoming a mom about how to prepare for it and how to interview all the experts I could interview. Last May, we had a motherhood and work series where I asked tons of brilliant scholars what I should be thinking about. And still, I came back to the podcast um, five months later than I thought I would because I had to level with my listeners and be like, yo, that was way more intense <laughs> than I was prepared for. So... I just feel almost like steamrolled by what new parenthood has been like. And I know everyone's experience of motherhood's different, but did you feel like becoming a parent yourself kind of set you on a different path in any way? Did it influence your career? Do you see lots of people struggling with making that transition from like a neurodevelopmental standpoint or just an emotional standpoint? Yeah, I think that the, the most of the people I work with are very much like you in that we want to be prepared. We are often overachievers. Oh, yeah. So, yes. Yeah, so I thought that might be true. <laughs> so we're like, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to do this really well. I'm going to have my plan and this. And, and it just doesn't go that way. So those are the type of people that I attract as well. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably you and many of your listeners. And yes, when you have this plan in your mind of how motherhood is going to go, right. it rarely, if ever, goes that way. Yeah. So there's often this just, wow, it's not at all what I expected. Yeah. And that can be hard for someone who wants to prepare. Like, is there a way to prepare for that? You know, I would say one of my big goals for parents is not to try to prepare for everything mm. and to say, I can handle whatever happens, mm. which is actually the opposite of like worry and anxiety is I can handle whatever happens. Mm. And I really, especially because parenting changes almost day to day yeah. sometimes that it's not about how do I make sure this bad thing doesn't happen, but how do I make sure that I can handle whatever does happen? Yeah. I almost think of that as like emotional agility, right? Like Absolutely. surfing the wave instead of being so rigid on that surfboard that you get crushed by it. And yeah. it's interesting. One of the most helpful things I think I did was uh, for months leading up to childbirth, take a mindfulness for childbirth class that involved a lot of meditation that I found very boring at first, but also very helpful. Yes. <laughs> and that, that muscle has been one that I turn to time and again. But there is yeah. a distinct difference between having confidence that you know all the answers 
versus having confidence in your ability to find the answers and rise. That's actually, I totally agree. And I've learned from um, this woman named Brooke Castillo. Who she's she's this huge life coach, and I've learned a lot from her. And she actually defines confidence mm. as not I know how to do everything, but I know how to handle discomfort. Mm. So it, whatever happens, even if I'm uncomfortable, I can handle that. And that's really what leads to the most success in life. I'm laughing. I'm mm-hmm. laughing at the word uncomfortable <laughs> because so much of the past nine months has been defined by that. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize what privilege was hidden in my pre-baby life in that I didn't have to feel uncomfortable and just like right. sit in that discomfort very often. I'm not saying it right. doesn't happen, but one of the biggest things I've experienced is my emotional intelligence is being called upon at such a higher level, right? Like Absolutely. being annoyed, being irritated, being physically overstimulated if you've attempted breastfeeding <laughs> like I have or just like being clung to to mm-hmm. an extent that is physically uncomfortable, not to mention like tension in the household around like, why isn't this getting done? Or, you know, who's doing what and just splitting up the intense increase in labor around the household. It's like, there's so much discomfort. And yet it is so important for me to not like, I mean, I have my moments of mom rage, no doubt, but like to not give in to that, like in this very reactionary childlike, I want to scream at the top of my lungs, which is probably what you see in teenage girls and or kids, right? Because neurodevelopmentally, I want to scream at the top of my lungs sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the emotional intelligence that it calls upon me to not is just at such a higher level. Do you... Mm -hmm. Do you see that translating in any way, like becoming a parent, changing the way that people show up in their careers or in work and like how you're able to navigate that emotional workload that comes with it? Yeah. I mean, I see people attempt to do that. Yeah. Now, of course, the people who come to me are the ones who are struggling to do that. Otherwise, they wouldn't be reaching out for help. But I also have friends and I know people and, and I myself am sometimes okay with this who are managing, you know, using their emotional intelligence to be able to handle the demands of both worlds. Mm. But it is very difficult. And I would say a lot of people struggle with it. So if anyone listening is struggling, definitely not alone. So I'm here because I'm struggling and this is going to turn into a personal coaching session on air if that's okay. (laughs) But how? Like, that's my number one question. I remember interviewing the author of Work Parent, and I think my first question was, how? How is anyone supposed to do any of this? And everyone I've interviewed kind of laughs and is like, I don't know. Like, that's a big question. But how do you begin navigating just that, that sort of just- emotional intelligence piece and struggling to not completely fly off the right? Like that's what we're saying. Yeah, that's right. So I think there are two things that we need to do. One is we really need to understand our values, both as a parent and as an employee or employer, but we need to understand our why and who we are. Mm. And so I have parents, one of the first things I do, this is actually in the introductory lesson in my course is, or my program is create what I call your parenting avatar. So your parenting avatar is the type of parent you want to be, Mm. the type of parent that's based on your values. And I actually have them go through a value sheet that person that if you acted like that parent when you went to bed at night, yeah. you'd feel really good. I love so that. So that's one of the first things I have parents do. And then the second piece, and these go hand in hand, is we're going to work through the obstacles that prevent you from being aligned with your parenting avatar. Yeah. And that's really the how that I teach is how do you figure out who you want to be? And then all of the hundreds of obstacles that prevent you from being that way, how do you work through those one by one? So 
what I, I'm hearing so much of what reminds me of the science around burnout, mm, yes. which is like understanding your specific burnout triggers. Like what is it that grinds your gears in particular? Cause that's going to look different. So what if you don't know necessarily, like how do you begin to really identify the things that become obstacles in your ability to live up to that ideal parent for yourself? So the good news, I think it's good and bad news is that our behavior, and this is what I teach parents about their kids. Our behavior actually tells us what's going on inside. Mm. In fact, that's one of the things that I teach parents about their kids. Your child's behavior is actually more of a reflection of what's going on inside of them than what's happening outside of them. So if they're being, if they're melting down, if they're not cleaning up, it's actually telling you what's going on inside of them. So for us as parents, our behavior will tell us when we're triggered, when we lose our cool, when we are using, sometimes we don't lose our cool, but we use so much willpower and we're like bearing down. I won't yell. I won't yell. I won't yell. Like those are the things Mm. that tell us that we are triggered. And I have a, a phrase that I use called yuck. You've heard me talk about this, Emily, in my presentation, but yuck is basically any type of discomfort. And they're always symptoms of yuck. And those symptoms tell us when we're at that point. Yuck. I love how you've used that because it does speak to one of those fundamental universal responses that we have, which is the disgust response, right? Tell Mm -hmm. me about the, the like innate nature of how that's wired into our brains or how, how yuck shows up. So the way that I use, I describe yuck is basically yuck to me is any type of discomfort. We started by talking about discomfort. So it's when our brain senses a problem. So it could be that we're hungry or tired. It could be that we feel disconnected. We feel frustrated, annoyed. Any type of discomfort, our brain will interpret as a threat. Well, you're actively being thrown up on or urinated on, which has both happened to me in the last few days alone. But yeah, no big deal. (laughs) Right. That for any human being will put you into yuck when you are being thrown up on. Yes, exactly. (laughs) No big deal. That's like my day-to-day life now. It's like, okay. Exactly. Yeah. So when you go into yuck, there are certain what I call yuck behaviors. Kids have yuck behaviors. Parents have yuck behaviors. So yuck is really what happens. We may turn our yuck out. Mm. So yuck turned out like for a child, maybe they yell at you, they throw things. That's their yuck turned out. Um, they, we may also turn our yuck in. And as parents, we do that a lot. Mm. Yuck turn in. It's easy to see in kids where they're saying things like, I hate myself and nobody likes me and I'm, I'm stupid and I never get anything right. But as parents, we turn our yuck in too. And we say, I'm the worst parent ever. Mm. I am going to save money right now for therapy because I'm doing all this damage to my kids. Like we take our yuck and we turn it in on ourselves Mm. or what eventually happens. And this is the last piece of this is we, as yuck builds in both kids and adults, we start to numb our yuck. Yeah. We start to turn to alcohol or busyness, that's a big yuck number, or, um, you know, scrolling on social media. So these are all symptoms that we're in yuck and yeah. that we need to do something because most of us do not handle our, our yuck very effectively. Right. I, it's so, this is so type A Virgo-esque about me, but like my, one of my coping mechanisms I found is like in the yuck, in the chaos, in the mess, in the like emotional intensity that is just my life right now at home, especially I find myself like compulsively cleaning. It's like, I'm like seeking out that dopamine hit of getting the dishes done, getting the laundry done, feeling this is on top of that. And I'm on top of that. And I'm doing this. And I like turn into this Tasmanian devil. And my husband's like, take a breath, (laughs) like take a seat, maybe, you know what I mean? Like calm, calm down. Uh, he knows, he knows better than to tell me to calm down, but (laughs) It's just like when I find myself in this frenzy of seeking control through like 
cleaning exactly, or commanding. Right. And that is a symptom of yuck for you. And yeah. just for the record, I do the same thing. I, I clean also. And my husband says he knows what kind of day I've yeah. had based on what I do in the kitchen. Am I cleaning and scrubbing? Or if I'm yeah. not, then I had a good day. Yeah. It's, I hear you. it's true. It's like there there's peace present. If there's peace present in my life, I'm not compulsively running around flitting from task to task. Right. Yeah. So what happens is when we become dysregulated, we feel a lack of peace inside. Yeah. So we try to create peace in our environment or we like reduce the chaos, the clutter. We create more white space around us because we feel dysregulated yeah. inside. And so my job is to teach parents how to re-regulate yourself Ooh. in a healthy way and then how to re-regulate your kids. Yeah. In the internal declutter perhaps. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Wow. 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 That's a lot. <laughs> That's just a lot. I mean, and Max is nine months old, so he's barely, you know, like, I don't have to emotionally manage him just yet, really. I mean, granted, babies yeah. certainly make their needs known. But, yes. uh, wow, it sounds like it's about to get way more complicated <laughs> in that it, arena. It, it gets – so the emotions are no longer about needs but wants, and that's when oh, we get more yeah. frustrated with them. Because yeah. now, you know, if he cries, you know he needs something. But when they become about wants and they become about pushing boundaries right. – we tend to get more triggered as parents. Yeah, for sure. for sure. It's so funny. So when you were talking about being in yuck and how people show up that way, I see that happen in more workplaces as well than I'd care to mention, right? Like screaming at someone also happens in the workplace. I've worked on a lot of campaigns that were full of yuck responses or just dysregulated people. So I do wonder, A, do you see yuck show up at work? And B, do you feel like, Learning to parent emotion, like the emotional work of learning to parent, does that trickle over into being a better boss or being a better colleague? So not only do I know this to be true, but I have seen it and heard feedback over and over and over from people. Rachel, I took your parenting program yeah. and everything is different for, in my life as a manager, as a director, as a boss. It's, it is, and, and in fact, I do corporate training. Yeah. And it's not that when I do parenting trainings versus like communicating trainings, right. it's the same stuff. Yeah. 95% of it overlaps. That's it's really all, It's basically how we handle our internal state, our, you know, our level of emotional intelligence yeah. plays a role in everything in our lives. Yeah. 100%. Totally. I actually heard from a level up leader in our leadership accelerator a year ago plus um, she said to me, and I this really stuck with me, Emily, I can't wait to see how you becoming a parent influences your work at Basta. And she's probably 15 years ahead of me and has two boys who are in middle school. And she just like, she said that to me with a little twinkle in her eye that brought some sort of knowing wisdom to that comment that really stuck with me. And I was like, huh, I never thought of it that way. Maybe becoming a parent will influence how I approach work and work on workplace work, if that makes sense. So it absolutely does. And it will. And it's so funny to think already, I, I see the world differently. So how do you begin to coach someone, regardless of their parental status, into doing that better, into being more emotionally regulated? Like what are some of the tactics that you found really help? So the first thing we, we always think about with emotional regulation is just noticing when we're dysregulated. Mm. So I'm going to give you some strategies here because I'm all about like, how do I do it? I'm, I'm, in case you can't tell, I'm kind of a control freak. So I like to know, like, tell me what to say, tell me what to do. <laughs> that's um, why I like so, you. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why we get along. Yep. That's right. Yep. <laughs> um, so noticing that we're dysregulated can actually happen in one of two ways. One is that we notice the signals in our bodies 
our bodies, just like they tell us when we are hungry or tired or have to go to the bathroom, our bodies actually tell us when we're dysregulated. Yeah. So um, I personally am someone who's very cognitive. Like I was becoming a neuropsychologist, like all in my head. Same, yeah. same. So when someone told me that your body sends you signals, I'm like, oh, no, no, my body doesn't send me signals. No, no, no. You have no idea what you're talking about. It actually took me like three months to figure out what my signal is. Mm. So some people are really good at figuring out what that is. It could be like a clenched fist, a heart beating faster, your face getting hot. That's one way to tell that you're mm. dysregulated or about to go and have a yuck response. Mm. The other way though, and this is what helped me in the beginning, was just to notice situations where you tend to regret how you respond. Mm. So you can either know when you're trying to regulate yourself emotionally, you can either think about what's the feeling that tells me yeah. that I'm probably getting dysregulated or what's a situation that tends to tell me that I'm probably like when my boss says this to me or when my client asks me for this, yeah. that is a sign that you're probably going to be dysregulated. So interesting. It is a struggle sometimes to lean into feeling when you're so comfortable in the thinking realm. Yeah. Right. And yeah. what you're saying is look, feeling and thinking can go hand in hand. <laughs> like oh, They have to for me. I have yeah. to be honest. Like I'm a scientist. Like yeah. I'm in my head. And I've realized because most of my life I was disconnected from my feelings. I yeah. realized that you have to actually tie them together. And you can. It's very possible. That's what I do. Totally. Yeah. I think that's such an important point. And it's been a struggle for me because as, again, very like heady, logical oriented person, especially someone whose baby was having significant difficulties in the first few months of life. He was underfed. Doctors didn't know why his latch looked good, but his suction was poor. And one dentist said he had a tongue tie and one said he didn't. And it was just like this nightmare of trying to logic my way to the right solution. That's right. And it went really on for much longer than I would have liked. And in retrospect, Everything's so much better now. And it was it was a blip on the radar in terms of the scope of his life. But man, it was a fucked up blip. <laughs> it was a hard. You didn't know. The hardest part is you don't know. Right. And no, I use that intentionally because right. that's a cognitive state. Yeah. You didn't know that. Right. And until, and for, for people like us, we want to know. Yeah. But that's the problem is that your feelings actually give you more information sometimes than your knowledge. Totally. And when we can tap into that mm. as well as our brains, yeah. like there's, there, we're limitless, really. And when they're not in sync, it's painful because my head was like, the doctor said this is right. The doctor said that was right. The doctor said this was right. And my, my heart was like, this is not right. My baby's crying all the time. He is miserable. He looks unhappy. Like, why is he not, why is he screaming after an hour of breastfeeding every time? Like, this is not yeah. feel right. And it wasn't right. And so we had to find more doctors and, you know, right. keep going because my head and my heart were on different wavelengths. And that was. And, and I would say as a quote unquote parenting expert, if there is such a thing. Right. That you, when, as parents, we need to listen to our heart before yeah. our head. And I say that to, to parents all the time. Yeah. If I say something that does not resonate, does not feel right, you ignore me and you listen to your instinct. Yeah. Because our parenting instinct is almost always right. Yeah. But we're, we're, I was trained to listen to my head. Yeah. Like I come from a very intellectual family. Same. We're head thinkers. That's not always Yeah, and it made know. me feel like really ill-equipped to parent because right. hearing that still, it just like brings, it brings a lot of feelings up for me because – at one point, I think my dad said a very innocuous, like what was intended to be a very kind comment. He said, I wish you'd listen to your intuition sooner because I was really like leaning into logic and listening to the doctors. And it just, it makes me feel ill-equipped to parent, you know, because you're like, oh, I don't have this mother's intuition. I don't, I don't know what the right answer is here, but I, 
I was clinging to this like desire well, for logic. In your defense, yeah. your your brain yeah. has gotten you as far as you are. Right. I mean, like your brain right. has served you really, yeah. really well. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Who is the most equipped person right. to raise your son? Right. You are the most equipped yeah. person. Yeah, you're gonna make me cry. Him. That's true though. It's so true. And it's like there, the other element of this that I, I, I know we talked about when you were giving your presentation that came up for me is where do dad's intuition come into play? Because my husband, Brad, the dad was the mm-hmm. only person early on who said, why don't we just give him bottles? He seems to be taking a bottle really well. And I said, no, the lactation consultant said this and the doctor said that, and we should be doing it this way. And this is the right answer. And I'm going to breastfeed him. And that was for Max, for my son, bottles are what he needed. And my husband of all people was the only one who knew. So to the point where months later, when I finally went to specialist after specialist after specialist, exhausting myself and came to the conclusion, he's going to be exclusively bottle fed. Uh Brad was like, yeah, that's what I've been saying this whole time. What's the deal? And I was like, oh God. Yeah. Like, so am I the right person to parent Max? Yes. And so is Brad. So here's what I would say (laughs) is that any person who can tap into their intuition, what happens is we have an intuition. It is surrounded by a huge ball of fear. Mm. So I actually think you probably knew deep down that your husband, what he was doing, he was tapping into his intuition and wasn't letting his fear drive the car. You, of course, were letting the fear drive the car because that's what we do as parents. And so I think anybody who is willing to tap into their caregiving or parental, whatever yeah. it is, intuition is the right person. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. So he just wasn't letting his fear. Yeah. Die. Fear of That's getting all. it wrong. Fear of not fear, being exactly. the right Fear mom. of I'm going to mess it up. Oh, fear of getting it God. wrong. Fear of he's not going to eat for the next however many years. I mean, like all these fears yeah. that we have because we love our kids so much. Or just we, they get in the way of our Yeah. Instinct. We want to be perfect. And I <laughs> was in the back of the room while you are just, I've never seen a room so like enamored with a speaker. Like this is a room full of very busy women who half the time are like on their phones answering emails because they're on client calls all the time. And they're at this leadership conference and every one of them had their phone out taking pictures of your slides. And I'm flitting around as I do in the back, you know, behind the scenes, making sure things are happening, making sure the conference is going smoothly. And I stopped dead in my tracks, Rachel, because I heard you say these words that I then busted out my iPhone and emailed to myself your words in that moment, which were trying to be a perfect parent is a red flag for me. Mm-hmm. We have to be imperfect. Our kids need to see us be imperfect. Otherwise, we're doing them a disservice. And I was just like stopped dead in my tracks because when you talk about fear, it all comes back to like fear of being not perfect. So explain Mm -hmm. that statement. What does that part of parenting look like for you? Yeah, I learned this when I was a therapist working with girls with eating disorders. And that's where it was the huge red flag. But I'll tell you even beyond that why it's important. But the first thing I learned about this was I was seeing girl after girl who, who was struggling to eat in a healthy way. And they often would say, my parents are perfect there. Cause I, I, uh, my practice is outside of DC, lots of really smart, <laughs> my last city. Yep. People. Yeah, no big deal. Exactly. I was there for five and a half years. Love that city, but yeah, go on. <laughs> but you know what, you know what the oh, people yeah. are. I mean, it's just, they, they're very successful, very smart, yeah. very driven people. So these girls would keep saying to me, but my parents can do everything so well. <sighs> 
my parents are so, you know, they don't fight that much or they don't do this or that. And I was like, whoa, they're internal. These kids are internalizing. My parents are so perfect. I have to be too. And when I have a flaw, there's something wrong with me. And that was when I got the big red flag. And then I realized that too, as I started seeing parents, that the more imperfect we are, the more we show our kids how to live life, the more we accept them when we accept ourselves. It's crazy, but that's the way it works. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes so much sense, but logically, like if you follow that thread, it gets kind of confusing quickly, which is to be a perfect parent, you have to be an imperfect person. To mm-hmm. be a perfect parent, you're being an imperfect parent. <laughs> you know, it's like... That's, although I would say yeah. even when you're imperfect, you're still not a perfect parent. Right. Even when you're imperfect. So that's sort of how I try to resolve that inconsistency <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. Like, the thing is, they need to see us argue. Yeah. They need to see us make mistakes. In fact, I think I heard... I forget the, the woman's name, but the founder of Spanx. I don't remember what her name is. I forget her name. She's this big CEO. Yeah. It's but Sarah Blakely. Said, Sarah Blakely. Yeah. Sarah Blakely. Thank you. Sarah Blakely said that her father sat them down at the dinner table every night and said, tell me the mistakes you made today. And she was like, oh my gosh, I learned that mistakes are actually powerful and beautiful growing up. And this is what our kids need to learn. Mm, I love that. So this is, yeah, I mean, they, then they start to accept and they start to become comfortable with discomfort. And that's what I try to teach for a living. Let's let parents and children become comfortable with discomfort. Because that is the emotional agility that you mentioned in the very beginning. Yeah. And not to to mention teams need that too. My husband's preparing his next team retreat for his team of, of 12 or so, um, cabinet makers. So he works in the building trades and the first activity that they're doing in this like mini team retreat is what did he call it? Nailed it and failed it. (laughs) He's doing this exercise of like, tell me about a project you absolutely crushed personally or professionally here at this company you're with now or in the past. And then tell me a, a complete fail and tell me what you learned in that. And it's just, it's such a tone setter, right? It's just a normalizing of failure as an important part of the culture that they're creating there, which is continuous improvement. You cannot learn. You cannot grow unless you fall flat on your face sometimes. And I remember there's this one video I once saw on YouTube of this, like the really well-decorated Harvard graduate who was like, had this amazing career and he showed his CV or his resume all the things he had done, but then he showed his CV of failures wow. and his CV of failures was like four times the, the length of his CV yeah. of successes. Yeah. And I just think we have to normalize it. And I know this is Brene Brown work. I'm sure everybody who listens knows Brene Brown, where she talks about the power of vulnerability and being real in companies. I mean, that's yeah. what she does. Yeah. She trains now leaders in organizations. Yeah. And like her yeah. first book, the gifts of imperfection. imperfection, it's right there in the title, right? It's like, what are we so afraid of, right? Like, I think at the end of the day, we're afraid to shine any light on our failures because God forbid that should mean I am a failure, the end, right? This like final end state of not being good enough. But, but that's, and that's what we learn. Think about it. Through school, we're judged and our goal is to get a hundred percent. Right. Our goal is to be perfect. Right. So we we live that experience. I mean, we kind of drill that into our kids in our academic Uh system, right? That's exactly what we Oh man. Well, I could talk with you all day, Rachel. This has been so illuminating. What do you feel like is the one takeaway you want all people, parents included, to know about how we embrace that kind of uh, emotional agility or embrace emotional intelligence, allow ourselves to be imperfect when, when thinking about where we take our careers, our lives, our families moving forward? 
would say the one takeaway would be a word I haven't actually used yet, but it's, it's easy to understand is alignment. And I've talked about the concept. So alignment is basically where we, we do recognize our intuition and we respond, we, we align our behaviors with our intuition. Yeah. So instead of using fear to drive us, yeah. we use who we are because I believe the happiest people, I know there's re- lots of research that says the happiest people are the most aligned. Yeah. They're not the people with the most money or the biggest house. They're the people who live a lot, a life that is aligned with their own, who they are and yeah. what they believe. Oh my God. I love that. You know, it's so interesting. You bring up alignment because I was reflecting on being in business now for almost 10 years. And what does Bossed Up do in many different iterations, whether it's the original Bossed Up Bootcamp that we started with or our current programs or our podcast, even it's like, We create this little pocket, this little bubble, this space where you can come in and ask yourself, what has been making me feel out of alignment? Where is that dissonance between who I am and who I want to be? And actually take the time, which is such a precious resource in our day-to-day realities, and say, what do I need to do to close that gap a little bit? What do I need to do to acknowledge that what I care about and value has changed? How do I... How do I get back in alignment? Because that requires intentional effort and time. And it, it does because we've been trained the opposite way. Yeah. Because it's like about performing and doing and think and like getting things done. And doing done. what other people tell you to do, listening to their voice versus yeah. your own. Ooh. Yeah. That's it right there. Wow. Well, thank you for being part of this space. And thank you for like adding your voice to this conversation because it's such an important perspective that you're bringing to the table. It's been a... Well, right back at you. Thank you for doing what you do. Awesome, Rachel. Where can our listeners catch up with you and your fantastic podcast and all the great work that you do? So my podcast is called Your Parenting Long Game, and it really is about teaching you to become an aligned parent. Um, And then I have a Facebook group that goes along with it. And all of this can be found on my website, rachel-bailey.com. Love it. I will drop that link in today's show notes. Thank you again for being part of this. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. For more details and links to everything we discussed on today's podcast, head to bossedup.org slash episode 358. That's bossedup.org slash episode 358. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. I'm Lacey Werman, tuning in from South Carolina, and I am a higher education administrator at a college. My boss move was I took advantage of an interim leadership role and turned it into a permanent position. I worked in this office for about two and a half years, and then that interim role became available through my supervisor leaving, and the role needed to be filled. And so stepped into that role jumped into it really, and served in it for about five months and was really intentional about not just being, going with the flow of things, really acted as if I was the permanent director in that role. I think that that proved that I had the abilities and the skill set to then become permanent. And so really capitalized on that interim time that I had to show that I want to improve things and I want to make them better through X, Y, and Z. And then the second one was really relying on my team, you know, being very honest and transparent of like, this is my first time doing this. I'm not going to be perfect at it. I have an idea for the way I want us to go, but I'm going to need your feedback along the way. And so really wanted there to be a lot of open communication with my team. The same month that I got this interim position was the same month I started Level Up. And so I think it was really helpful as I was exploring this new interim role of leading a team we're going through this curriculum and level up at the same time. And so I'm able to apply the knowledge and skill set in real time. 
Congratulations, Lacey. I am so proud of everything you achieved. And it was truly remarkable kind of walking through the Level Up program with Lacey in real time, watching her join the program, having just accepted this interim leadership position. And then over the course of the six months we had together, she negotiated, she advocated, she landed that position as a full-time role and transformed her department along the way. It was so impressive to watch her put everything she was learning in Level Up into effect in real time. So congratulations, Lacey, again, and thank you for sharing your boss move. You really never know who you're inspiring when you share your come up story. So if you've got a boss move to share, hop on a quick call with me. I'd love to interview you for a feature on an upcoming episode. Just head to the link in today's show notes for more details. 